Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. This podcast is designed to hold space for honest conversations. From purity culture to faith, sexuality, relationships, identity, culture, deconstruction, and more. My hope is to look doubt in the face, be curious, seek God, and ask meaningful questions to address any elephant in the room with openness, nuance, and grace. I won't pretend to be an expert and definitely don't have all the answers. And though it may feel easier and more comfortable to exist in the black and white, I invite you to discover God with me in the gray and unexpected spaces. So whoever you are, whatever you do or don't believe, you are welcome here and have a seat at this table. Make sure you're subscribed to the Refined Collective Podcast on iTunes. So each week when a new episode drops, it'll download straight to those devices. And while you're at it, if you feel so inclined, leave us a five-star rating and written review. It would be so helpful to get our message out there. All right, let's go ahead and get to it. Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and special shout out and thank you to Newsstand Studio at Rockefeller Center for producing the podcast today. Be sure and follow them along on Twitter, at Rock Center NYC, or over on Instagram, at Rockefeller Center. And also, I want to share with you about my Patreon, patreon.com slash The Refined Collective. This right now is my most raw, unedited, vulnerable version of myself. It's my most vulnerable portion of the internet that I show up on. And I'm having conversations on Patreon that I'm not necessarily ready to have on the podcast, but I want to still have them and I want to have them in community. So that's happening over on Patreon. Every week I drop an exclusive video. I just dropped a video last week unpacking my thoughts on Jackie Hill Perry's book, Gay Girl, Good God. And I did another recent videos called Breakup Suck and Here's Why. And then other topics like self-sabotage versus self-care and also other just really for lack of better words, vulnerable videos over on Patreon. So come join us. You can join Patreon for as little as $3 a month. That's patreon.com slash The Refined Collective. Now, I had a recent experience unfold. And when it happened, first of all, I knew I wanted to do a podcast on it. And second of all, I knew I wanted to talk with Kobe Campbell. Now, you might recognize her name because she was on the podcast earlier this year during Mental Health May, episode 150, When Is It Time to Go to Therapy? Kobe is a trauma therapist and also co-host of the Healing Circle podcast and founder of the Healing Circle Therapy and Wellness Center. And she is going to be having a book coming out in the next year or so. So y'all just get ready for that because it's going to be awesome. I know I'm going to get it as soon as it comes out. So Kobe, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Kat. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat some more. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. And we just had a very, talk about raw and unedited. (laughs) We just had some real talk for about 30 minutes before press and record. So I'm excited Mm. to dig into today's episode with you. Yeah, me too. So I reached out to you because I had a very specific question. And is it okay with you, Kobe, if I just kind of share my process of how I got there and then how I reached out to you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, because it's going to be a few minutes. (laughs) We're ready to listen. I'm ready to listen. Also, you did a couple exclusive videos on our Patreon, which were really awesome as well. So mm-hmm. basically, I feel like you're our resident trauma therapist these I days. I love it. I love it. I'll put that in my bio. <laughs> yes. Resident <laughs> trauma therapist at the Refined Collective. So the question I have is, is it the Holy Spirit or is it my trauma? And here's why that question has come up for me. Now, for most of my life, I feel like I've had this secret sauce, this Mm -hmm. sixth sense 
that most of my friends don't have, where I can walk into a room and I can just read it and I can read people to the nth degree. Like that person over there has an eating disorder. That person has experienced abuse. That person is freaking out right now. That person is angry. And I've also been able to really discern atmospheres. And well, before as a Christian, it was like, oh, I guess, I don't know, this, am I magic? Like, what is this? <laughs> and then I became a Christian and it was like, oh, this is, you have the gift of discernment. This is a spiritual gift mm-hmm. or the gift of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And I was really praised for that in the church. And I would definitely say there have 100% been times where this gift of discernment has been a source of pride and arrogance for me. Mm. And then I would say maybe five, six years ago, I feel like this blessing of mine kind of became a curse. Mm. And once I started struggling with anxiety, it was like I would walk into a room and I'm feeling everyone's crap and it became completely overwhelming, completely exhausting. Like I would before go speak at an event and leave just enlivened and feel like I could conquer the world. Whereas after this started happening, after anxiety started happening, and then I would walk into a room or walk on stage and feel the whole room or discern the whole room. And it felt like this backbreaking thing that was crippling me. Mm. So then I realized, okay, don't just because I can like discern doesn't mean I have to carry everyone's stuff. So mm-hmm. that can be a, a separate side conversation. But recently I was dating someone and I was really liked this person, but found myself being really avoidant. And so I started researching attachment styles. Mm. And I've done podcasts on attachment styles. I know what avoidant attachment is. I know what anxious attachment is, blah, blah, blah. But it's one thing to talk about it and another thing to have it activated. So I have this avoidance that has been activated in this dating relationship. And I start researching attachment theory. I watched this video by Thais Gibson on fearful avoidance, and it seriously read me like a mother-loving book. I was like, oh my gosh, this is my life Mm. experience. And one of the things that she said was that a lot of fearful avoidance grew up in really chaotic homes with either emotional abuse or absence or abandonment or a parent who struggled heavily with addiction, which was my story. My dad struggles to this day with drug addiction. Mm. And she said, now, because of that, because home wasn't safe for you and because your parent or parents weren't safe for you, you learned this skill to be, I can't remember exactly what she called it, but how I interpreted it was hypervigilance. So she's like, you are just constantly scanning the room subconsciously to notice the tiniest moments of change or shift in the atmosphere or shift in body language. And because of that, you are constantly on the lookout for any minor change in a person so that you can read the room to then assess how can I be safe and how do I need to be so that I can be safe. Yep. And I was like, holy crap, is that what is my quote unquote gift and now curse of discernment? Like, is this blessing that Mm. the church has always praised me for actually my trauma? And I kind of spiraled over it for, I mean, I was like kind of freaking out and then journaling about it, praying about it. And I reached out to one of my mentors and her and I talked about it. And then I reached out to you, Kobe. I was like, girl, Mm -hmm. what is this? Like, is this thing? Because I feel like I felt both things. Like, this can be a gift for me. But when I heard Thais Gibson describe what felt like my exact childhood and then the behaviors I picked up to just basically be on constant alert, I just Mm. felt like, oh my gosh, that feels like me. Yeah. So... That's the question that I have that I want to unpack with you is, is it the Holy Spirit? 
or is it my trauma? Is it both? How do we know? One, thank you for sharing that with all of us. Two, I think that we really love dichotomy in the Western world. Mm. We really love like either or. And I truly believe that two things can be true. So before I dive deeper into it, one, what your uh, therapist was talking about was called practice scanning. Practice scanning. Yes. Mm -hmm. So practice scanning is um, when you are essentially, um, I'm like, wait, is that the word? Yes, it is. So it is essentially when you are um, ever scanning the room subconsciously, because it's not like you're a kid and you're like, I now I'm going to sit in the corner and scan the room. Right. But it is a natural defensive mechanism that comes um, alongside oftentimes in our childhood when we're not safe or when our safety depends on people's ever changing moods. And so we become experts in anticipating what what triggers other people to act in certain ways. Um, we become experts on identifying what mood they're in. Um, and so we, like your therapist said, we do that to be safe, to figure out how do I survive, especially as a child? How can I survive in a relationship with someone that is responsible for caring for me, but hurts me in ways that may be physical and may not. So that's uh, one, more the psychological side. Two, I think as someone who fully identifies with you, I think that what's really important is that God in like all of scripture is in the business of redeeming. And I think that sometimes we um, want to take like an experience we've had whether it's positive or neutral. And we may notice in the past that same um, experience elicited a similar trait that it did in a positive experience. And then we're like, oh my gosh, is this good or bad? But honestly, it makes me think about Moses, right? So before Moses takes the Israelites out of Egypt, you know, the whole situation, Prince of Egypt, let my people go. Before he's a leader, he's a murderer. Hmm. And I truly believe that the same thing that made him a murderer, his uh, fierce orientation to justice, is the same thing that made him the very person God wanted to use to get his people out of Egypt. Right? And beyond that, I think that all what I would call maladaptive, all maladaptive traits that we have are first good and situations turn them to bad, right? So luckily, not luckily, like it's it's possible that you could have been a really perceptive kid before, right? But unfortunately, we can't go back. Hmm. You know, you may have been a naturally perceptive kid, which may have heightened your ability to practice scan so well and so quickly. Does that make sense? Yeah, that yeah. It could be a combination of so many things because there are, are people who have been through childhood trauma and have grown up in families where um, parents or guardians struggle with substance abuse who are terrible at practice scanning, hmm. right? And so I'll say this, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I don't think you will, but I think that um, it just makes me think about like the gospel in its entirety, I promise I'm getting somewhere. But like one thing I walk through my Christian clients with as they process religious trauma is how to them the gospel is I am bad and God must come save me because I am bad, hmm. right? Um, and I have to like help them with their own words and experiences reorient their idea of what the gospel is. The reality is actually you're good and Jesus doesn't come to like save you because you're bad, he comes back to restore your goodness, right? Because that's what you always were, right? There was a perfect Eden and then there was the fall. And at the end of time, the goal is restoration back to the good. And so I would probably urge you to say, to adopt that perspective that like the yeah. traits that you naturally have are good 
They can be negatively affected by the experiences you have, by the biology that you have, by the interactions that you have with other people. But in the end, it still can be discernment, Mm -hmm. right? Because if you heal your attachment and develop a sense of neurological rest, but still can discern people, I feel like in situations, I feel like the enemy would be real quick to be like, oh, that's not discernment. That's your anxiety. Yeah. Oh, that's not discernment. That's, you know, that's you practice scanning again. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think it can be both, but also I, I understand the heart of the question you're asking. And I think I want to speak to that as well. So when we think about trauma or any negative experiences that we have in the past that affect our present and our perception of the future, all of these experiences teach our body and our brain to discern what is safe and what is not. And if we are not healed, actively healing or... um yeah, if we're not healed or actively healing, then it is easy for us to think that our trigger, our body being triggered is discernment. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Can you repeat it one more time? Yeah. <laughs> so if we've experienced trauma and we are not actively working out that trauma, actively mm-hmm. in therapy, actively opposing the neurological wiring of that trauma, it is easy for us to think that feeling triggered is having discernment. Ah, okay. Right. So we might say, I don't like that person. And we may think it's discernment as a believer, but it really might be because there's something about that person that you don't have language for that reminds you of someone who made you feel unsafe. Yes. I really resonate with that because I feel like years ago, this must be 15 years ago, I was in LA. Mm-hmm. And what I know now was really happening is that I was having my first panic attack, mm-hmm. but I didn't have the words for that. I was in LA and I had my camera bag with me and I was walking down the street to the boardwalk in Santa Monica with my sister. Mm -hmm. It was midday and I see this woman, this homeless woman from maybe like a hundred yards away from me. Mm -hmm. And I looked at her and I thought that woman's going to try to mug me. Yeah. And then I instantly was like, don't be so judgmental. Oh my gosh, why would I ever do that? And so instead of walking out of her way, I kept walking straight towards her on the sidewalk. And then Mm -hmm. she came up to me, pushed me, tried to get my bag Mm. and it knocked the wind out of me because I was so scared. Mm. And she ended up not getting my bag, but I was so triggered Mm. and I didn't have the words for what was happening like physiologically in my body. I looked back and I was like, I must have been practice scanning her. Yeah. And maybe that was also coupled with some discernment. And both of it got triggered, but I ignored it. Mm. And then I experienced anxiety, which I thought was, I was being like attacked by a demon. Like I literally was like, I'm being attacked by a demon right now. Mm. And I didn't have the words or the experience for what had happened until like 15 years later. (laughs) Mm. Wow. And that, and I feel like the line is so individual because I mean, if you would have told me that story, I would have been like, girl, that was discernment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was, and again, as someone who, I'll say this, I think practice, practice scanning has made me really good as a therapist. Mm. Um, But I also think that there's part of practice scanning that can only go so far, Mm. right? Because you might see someone who is feeling afraid or left out or uncomfortable, practice scanning is going to help you understand like the physiological expression of sadness or fear or anxiety or anger, right? But practice scanning is not going to give you the exact thoughts of somebody, right? And Mm -hmm. something tells me that you've probably said to someone at some point, are you thinking that blank, blank, blank? And they've Mm -hmm. been like, oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think that's something that, I think that's a gift, mm-hmm. right? That That's a gift that 
even if there are ways that this gift can burden us, that it's still a gift worth caring for and tending to and pruning and sharpening because I think it's the greatest gift that helps us connect. Um, I'm going to mess up this quote so bad, but Brendan Manning, AKA one of my favorite authors in the world says like in, I think he says in like the service of the wounded, only, only the brokenhearted can serve, right? Like only those who have been deeply hurt, only those who can empathize with and know the visceral experiences of brokenness can serve well. Mm. And I think a lot of us who are good at connecting people, connecting with people, galvanizing people, um, sharing experiences that are reflected by hundreds or thousands of other people's experiences are also people who've experienced deep pain. Right. 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 And I think that's something most of us know, but I think that that's that at the core of your gift is an ability to utilize this thing that came out of fear Mm. for good. Yeah. I hear that. And I think something I'm trying to process through is just even thinking of my younger experiences in the church where this gift of discernment slash my trauma Mm. (laughs) being activated was really praised. And Mm. I think what I have experienced and I think what I've witnessed too in church is it seems like the church can really like pounce on someone's gift. Oh and my goodness. What yes. it can really feel like in hindsight is exploitation. Yeah. And like I think of Kanye West. You know, Kanye West becomes a Christian and then it's like everyone wants a piece of Kanye West. Yep. And like the man's not well. Like <laughs> he is unwell. He is unwell and yeah. man, I like my heart goes out to him because it's like he becomes a mm. Christian and it's like people aren't trying to care for his heart or his mental yeah. health. Yep. They're just trying to exploit his gift, his yep. gift of creativity and genius to the yep. Christian world and stake claim on it. Mm-hmm. And so I look back and I'm like, what I wish I would have experienced growing up is perhaps someone to come alongside me and be like, hey, it seems like you have this gift and it it could be Holy Spirit inspired, but we also know that this can also come from pain. So can we walk alongside with you and help you sift through your story as Mm -hmm. opposed to like, it was only praised. And I look back and I'm like, is that just so that they could have used that gift for their glory? Or Mm. they're like, no, this is for Jesus's glory. And then the person who ends up hurt is the person with the gift slash trauma. And so I think I'm just trying to reconcile so many things with the church right now. Mm -hmm. But even this, I'm like, man, this feels messy because yes, if there's like someone with a gift, like it seems like when the church sees someone that has a gift, it's like, ah, let's hurry up and get throw a mic at them and get them on stage instead of really Mm -hmm. trying to dig into their story. What do you think about that? Yeah, I a thousand percent agree. Um, as someone who I think is a pretty good speaker, who has expertise in an area that the church is growing interest in, mm-hmm. um, I think I've definitely experienced that. I think even what you're talking about, like that's discipleship. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> it, it's so odd that discipleship is so like fringe, you know, mm-hmm. in in church spaces right now. Um, you know, a lot of the the people, I've had one woman be like, hey, you need to be mentored. Like you're extremely gifted. God's called you to great things and like you need to be mentored and I want to pour into you. Um, apart from, rather opposed to someone saying like, hey, I really want you to, to speak at this or I really want you mm-hmm. to serve here. I really think you could do well over this ministry. And I think even the idea of like, again, the dichotomy of like good or bad, I feel like that's like, a hangover from a holdover rather from the church. Like it's Mm -hmm. either good or bad. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that that like, that's definitely encompassed by the purity culture, which your book so beautifully covers. But I also think at the core of purity culture, the idea of good and bad, like that dichotomy that that has no gray and no gradient and Mm -hmm. no scale 
is applied to so many things because not in this specific way, but similarly, I've been in places where I've been like, oh my gosh, I thought I was great at this and now I'm terrible. Like now, now I'm just bad at this instead mm-hmm. of I'm learning, instead of mm-hmm. I'm growing, instead of I'm developing this gift, instead of I am, you know, in a season where I'm just growing, it's always like this, like good or good or bad. And I think that you're right. The church can sometimes be, I wish I had a better phrase, but like honestly clout chasers sometimes. Mm. It can feel like sometimes the church is like, we want your gift as long as it can draw people near to us and make Jesus look good in a way that is so cheap yeah, and so impersonal. impersonal. Yeah. You know, um, and I think there are a lot of people longing to use their gifts and know that they have beautiful and powerful gifts. And we have this weird like culture of false humility in the church. Oof. You can't just say I'm good at this and I want to do it. You have to have somebody else endorse you, mm-hmm. but if you're good at it, you got to pretend like you're not that good. <laughs> it's like, totally. it's very like weird. Well, if you're a woman, now if you're a man. Oh. <laughs> context here is I have felt that so many times of, I went to a big church in New York City for years mm-hmm. when up until a couple years ago. And at that time I was being asked to speak at conferences and I was leading all this stuff for women. But at my own church, I couldn't do that. I wasn't given the opportunity for it. And I just was like, how do you guys want me to serve? And I literally cleaned bathrooms on Sundays, like for six hours every Sunday for like years and was like, all right, like this is like a a humble pie for me. I'm not too good to clean bathrooms and that needs to be done. And I know sometimes it's like everyone wants a mic or everyone wants to lead worship. Everyone wants those like big shiny jobs. And then finally it got to a point where I sat down with one of the leaders and I was like, listen, like here's what I do for a living. And this is my job. Like I researched the Bible. I have a Bible major and I speak to women all over the country and world. And I would love to be able to like use my gift and develop it and learn it. And basically I was shown the back door. Wow. Because it was like, well, you're just chasing your own name. You're right. Like if someone else had like seen it and endorsed me and like told someone it would have been different. Mm -hmm. But I also believe that there's such a different energy or ethos or standard of operation for men. I feel like a man can go in there and be like, Hey, like here's my gifts. And because churches are so hungry for male leaders Mm -hmm. that it's not cocky or arrogant. It's that man's confident. He knows his calling and it bums me out. I feel like women get the short stick and then single women get the short stick and then single women of color get the shortest stick. Oh my gosh. That was said impeccably. (laughs) Like you could not have said that better. I was just telling a friend the other day, um, when it comes to women, it feels like oftentimes the church, we're experts at teaching women how to be confident and like speaking to women who are not confident, but when they actually develop confidence, we don't know what to do with them. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, you're assured in your calling. You're assured in what God's told you to do. You're assured in who you are in Christ. You're assured in your identity. You're not afraid of conflict. If it means that you do what God told you to do. Oh, you're, you well, you're a problem now. Yeah. All the while, all your ministries are catering to creating the type of people that you are calling problems. You're telling us to seek the Lord. You're telling us to hear the voice of God. You're telling us to do what God's called us to do. And then you're acting surprised when we do it. Oh, snap. I feel like I could go so many responses with what you just said. What do you think is a solution? Mm. What do you wish would happen in those scenarios? Yeah. I wish that women would be given the opportunity to fail as often and as much as men can in the church, right? Like even the idea of like what we started talking about of like, oh, I have this gift of discernment, but I'm also realizing that some of this could be rooted in my past trauma. Like, does this mean that this entire gift is null and void? I would be hard pressed to hear a Christian man say that. Hmm. 
they would just be like, God redeemed it. It's great. <laughs> you know, and like, like move on, you know, it would be like, well, you know, he turns all things, you know, for our good. Thank the Lord. Mm-hmm. <laughs> move on. Yeah. I think that women don't get the opportunity to fail. And I think that unfortunately in Christ, it creates a culture of perfectionism. And then it creates a culture where we're only ministering to women. And then it creates a culture where men have such a truncated hermeneutic. Like they have such a fractured image of God Hmm. because they cannot tell you what part of God is reflected in women. Wow. Because they dare not listen to women. Mm. And what a tragedy. Like we're, we're all suffering from that for everyone. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've done therapy off and on for years, and I started seeing a therapist again last year to process through some old trauma along with anxiety and depression I was experiencing. I can honestly say I'm a different person than I was a year ago. I am such an advocate for therapy, which makes me so excited to partner with BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist who you can start communicating with in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. And their service is available for clients worldwide, which means millions of people have access to professional help at their fingertips. And here's the awesome thing is it's affordable and accessible. And if money is an issue, there's financial aid opportunities with BetterHelp. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change therapists if and when needed. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. So visit betterhelp.com refined. That's betterhelp.com slash refined and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. There's a special offer for the Refined Collective listeners to get 10% off your first month. So go ahead and go to betterhelp.com slash refined. I'll be honest, I'm not the greatest cook in the world. In fact, stepping into the kitchen can feel really overwhelming for me. But over the last year, I've really worked on trying different recipes and honing in on a few dishes so that I can feel confident whipping something up either for myself or last minute when friends come over. And a few of those recipes in my back pocket are now a good frittata. Y'all, I can make a good frittata. Gluten-free banana bread, even a shepherd's pie. I've actually recently been working on a shrimp and brown butter pasta that, mm, let me tell you, is so good. In all my recent cooking experiences, I've realized how important investing into your kitchen tools are. I recently replaced my knife set. And knife set is being generous and describing what I actually had versus what I have now. I tried the brand Made In's Chef Knife Set, and it has changed my cooking experience. Now that I have professional quality knives, it feels like I was just using plastic party knives for all of those years. Made In's cookware and kitchenware products are used by thousands of the world's best chefs. They source the finest materials and partner with renowned craftsmen, to make premium kitchen tools available directly to you without the markup. Oh, yes. <laughs> Maiden products are made to last and they offer a lifetime guarantee. Their cookware distributes heat evenly and can easily go from the stovetop to the oven. And their knives are fully forged, perfectly balanced, and stay sharp. They have 28,000 plus five-star reviews, and their products are used by some of the world's best chefs at Michelin-starred restaurants around the world. Maiden has better cookware for better meals. So right now, Maiden is offering the TRC listeners 15% off your first order with promo code CAT. That's K-A-T. 
This is the best discount available anywhere online for Maiden products. So go to madeincookware.com slash cat, that's K-A-T, and use promo code cat for 15% off your first order. That's madein, M-A-D-E-I-N, cookware.com slash cat and use promo code cat. I just found out recently, and I've been doing a ton of like women's study and theology, but the Genesis 1, 1 and 2, I think where it says, and the spirit of God hovered mm-hmm. over the universe or the darkness before God started speaking life into creation, the spirit hovered. And mm-hmm. that's the Hebrew word, Ruach Elohim, yeah. feminine name for God. Mm. Like Genesis 1, 1 is like, I was like, is that mother God? Like, what? I'm so, but that's not talked about. At all. Oh my gosh. You're about to throw me down a whole rabbit hole. I (laughs) I was recently talking to, so I started doing um, interviews with my followers, just like Zoom interviews with strangers about their life and and God Mm -hmm. and their trauma. And something that one of the women I spoke to said that broke my heart. She said, no one can seem to tell me how God can speak to my mother wound. Wow. Like, how can you read the Bible and say, like, men and women were both made in the image of God and then say God does not bear the image of a woman? Mm. Well, that also means he doesn't bear the image of a man. But you call him he. Yeah. You know, and it, I think it, there's just such a disservice. And I think that because, like you said, people are clamoring for mic, mics and people are clamoring for attention, a lot of people are not asking questions that matter. Yeah. And I feel like the last 15 years has been like a loop of answering the same questions that have already been answered. Yeah. And they're like these fringe people who are like, actually, I have a question about this. And we're like, ah, that's a stupid question. If you ask yeah. it, you're not Christian. You're right. Well, I mean, I feel like I've experienced that. Well, the moment I asked the question publicly five or six years ago, what does the Bible really say about sex? Mm-hmm. Like that scared people. It was oh, like, sure. oh, what do you mean? What does the Bible say? Are you not a Christian anymore? Are you just saying that you want to sleep around? And I was like, no, (laughs) I just actually don't really know what the Bible actually says about sex, even though I was a Bible major outside of what my youth pastor told me. Yep. And And I want to find out. I want to find out. So I did the work. And then I started asking questions like, do black lives matter to Jesus? Hmm. Does my faith impact how I vote? Does my faith and my interpretation of who Jesus is impact how I love the LGBTQ community? And it's Mm -hmm. like, do you start asking those questions and you better watch out? It's like, girl, I've been disinvited (laughs) from so many churches because they just want me to ask. So how do I put myself out there and get a date? Mm -hmm. They just want me to just like, Mm -hmm. Keep it simple, cat. <laughs> how do I keep boundaries? Yeah. How do I make the most of my singleness? How do I protect my abstinence? And like, yes, let's talk about that. Yeah, for but sure. But I think that I want to have a posture of curiosity in my yep. life. And yeah. I think like to your point of, you know, no one's talking about the mother wound. And it's like, I know you just bringing that up. And me saying that Genesis 1-1 like has the feminine name of God, people are going to be up in arms about it. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, what are you saying? Well, what are you not saying? Well, can we just look at it and be curious about it and ask the questions without demonizing the questions? Yep. I feel like it just just leaves people so longing. Mm -hmm. I feel like our, our culture is like neutered God, the perception of who God is. We can't do anything to his power. He's going to do what he wants to do. But like, Mm -hmm. I feel like, we are seeing a, a very real recapitulation of the gospels now that healing's not happening in the temple. It's happening outside wow. with those who are curious and those who are willing to cry out to God as they are, those who are willing to have hard conversations, those who are mm-hmm. willing to ask the things that seem simple. It's mm-hmm. Jesus himself who says, if you don't receive the kingdom of God like a child, then you won't receive it at all. Mm-hmm. And yet people are clamoring to see mature. Yeah. Like, okay, enjoy. And I wonder, to your point about that, even just in the conversation of, is it the Holy Spirit or is it my trauma? Mm. Of like, 
instead of making it black and white and binary to be willing to step into the gray. Yep. Like it could be the Holy Spirit and it could also be trauma. Yeah. It could be this and it could be that. I mean, that's hard to preach from a pulpit. Nuance, it's very, yeah. <laughs> layers. <laughs> it, it's so much easier to say, here's three ways you can seek God. Here's five hacks to have a God-honoring marriage. Here are the 10 steps that you need to do to meet your spouse. Yep. Here are the things you can and can't do in order to live a God-honoring life. And I don't want to say that our actions don't matter. Like That's not what I'm saying, but I just yeah. feel like we don't want to do the work. Even yeah. me, like I want to ask you, Kobe, was it the Holy Spirit in my life or was it my trauma? And it's like, Part of it is like, you can't totally answer that. Like, I have Absolutely to look not. at it, you know? I have to be willing to be confronted with my own questions. Yes. Oh my gosh, yes. And it like, I just wish people who ascribe to Christianity like understood the the difference between like the Western world and the Eastern world. The Western ro- world values information. We mm. want to understand. We like order. We want it to be chronological, but the Eastern world, the ancient Near Eastern world, the context in which scripture is written, if you find something immediately, you miss the point because scripture is about discovering. It's about seeking what is hidden in the text. That is the context in which all scripture is written. It's about seeking what is hidden in the text. And so we want to read one line and be like, I get it. I understand forever. This is my, this is it. Mm -hmm. And yet, this is the word of God that's meant to reflect the eternal and infinite essence of God. And you think after reading it three times and hearing 10 sermons on a subject that you fully understand it? Wow. Like, no, we're, we're ever understanding. It makes me think of like the Israelites. God gives them 10 commandments, 10, <laughs> one for each finger. And they mess up and they're like, oh God, maybe we need more than 10 commandments. Uh, let's add 613. (laughs) And they literally add 613 commandments to the 10 commandments God's given because they think that the honoring those commandments is what's going to save them. Wow. And it doesn't. I feel like the church has done that. Mm The God is like, love the outcasts. And we're like, yeah, but the outcasts definitely can't be gay. They definitely can't be Mm -hmm. trans. They have to make sure that they're communicating that they have a clear plan of repentance or else we're Mm -hmm. not wasting our resources on them. Like we we're adding the 613 commandments over and over and over again. And it sucks because sometimes it feels like to be a part of the institutionalized body of God that we have to like give into those rules, mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, the, and those rules are what lead us to question, am I good or am I bad? Yeah. Is this a gift or is this a curse? And God's like, if, if you're coming to a conclusion quickly, maybe you're missing it. Cause maybe the answer is an abiding in me. Hmm. And like you said, that's really hard to preach from a pulpit because yeah. it takes the power away from people who are in leadership the mm-hmm. same way it took the power away from the Pharisees and the Sadducees back in the day. Yep. And we love to judge the Israelites and we love to judge oh the Pharisee. We're like, oh man, they're sure. like, what? Bozos, you know, like God gave them yeah. food from heaven. And then the next day they're making a golden calf. Like what idiots. Uh-huh. And <laughs> I feel like the Old Testament, one of my pastors was like, you have to realize you are the Israelite. Like yeah. we are the Israelite and we are constantly doing dumb shit and turning our backs on God. And God is gracious and loving and God's hand always comes back to us. Then we get reconciled and then we walk away again. And, and that is like the Israelite story is our story. Yeah. And then yeah. I think we also love to hate on the Pharisees and Sadducees. And we love to pretend like we're the persecuted in America. Oh my gosh. And I'm like, Cat, don't listen, take <laughs> like <laughs> the top 1% of the world's population owns a car and has a college education. Yeah. And we are, most of us in America, part of the top 1% in yeah. the world. 
Yep. Top 1% mm-hmm. of the world's population of wealth and privilege. Like it is it is a joke to think that we are the persecuted here in the American church. Like we are the Pharisees. <laughs> We're the Pharisees. I am okay, the Pharisee. Dragging me for filth. Thank you very much. <laughs> mm. So I am thinking back to the original question that you asked. Yeah. And I think I would ask a question back to you and say, mm. like, in this process, what do you feel like God's trying to reveal to you? Mm. Like, as you notice that there's a gift that you have that is beautiful and um, a catalyst for connection, but also mm. heavy and a catalyst for isolation in different seasons, like, what do you think God's trying to reveal to you in the midst of that? Man, that's a really good question. A few things come to my mind, and one is that I feel like I'm starting to feel the shift of when it starts turning dark or when I start going to the dark side. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is I used to call it like, man, I feel like sometimes I turn into this private investigator. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm on a date with someone or I'm at a party and I'm like, okay, everyone has had one glass of wine. That person's had four. And I'm just, you know, becoming this private investigator of what you're calling practice scanning or just when I feel out of control, I've realized is when I go into that mode. Yep. It's an anchor. And because I'm really just trying to feel safe and I have seen it so much in the last few years when my dad relapsed in his addiction, I was like, oh my gosh, like looking on Facebook. Is he posting on Facebook? Okay, like texting it. Where is dad? Like I feel out of control and I don't feel safe. Mm. And so this behavior for me in this moment as it's activated is activated out of fear. Mm. And so I feel like an invitation that God has had for me is to release that behavior in those moments of like, nope, I'm not going to like be the private investigator. That's not my job. And can I feel safe and at home in my body Mm. and with God, regardless if I feel safe in the circumstance or regardless if anything external is okay, can I still be okay? Can I be safe? Can I be uncertain of my circumstances like Oswald Chambers say, but be certain of God? Yeah. I think there's been a real invitation in that for me to, to discern where is this behavior being rooted in right now? Yeah. And realizing when it's coming from like maybe a Holy Spirit place, I could say, or from a healthy place, it's for God's glory, for my good and the good of others. And when it's coming from a unhealthy place, it's I feel out of control. I don't feel safe. I need to figure out the game plan and see if I'm safe here because no one else is going to make me safe. God's not making me safe. So it's up to me to be on high alert to then save myself, essentially. Mm. So much of the last few years for me have been like allowing myself to be really uncomfortable when I feel out of control and like sitting in that moment. And I'm not saying putting myself in like toxic environments, but I'm just saying when I feel scared or out of control or unsafe, pausing and saying, okay, God, like, This is how I feel. What's true is that you're good. You are with me. You are my foundation. You are my ground floor. Even if I don't feel safe externally, I can be safe with you and I can be safe in my body. Hmm. I feel like that has been a huge invitation for me in this season. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. I think that's not only so beautifully and candidly said, I think that there's so many people, including myself, who can relate to that. Mm. That like you're able to to catch on to the ways that you physically, emotionally feel when you're afraid 
Mm-hmm. The truth is, like, trauma estranges us from our bodies. Yeah. Most of us are just like, that person really pissed me off. <laughs> and we don't <laughs> even realize, like, no, I just really felt out of control because plans changed unexpectedly. And that's a trigger for me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, Kobe, this has been so lovely. Yeah. I love talking with you. I love Same. I love hearing how you process life and God and the world and trauma. And thanks for processing this with me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for chatting with me. Yeah. And if people want to stay in touch with you or listen to your podcast or yeah, all that good stuff, how can they do that? Absolutely. You can follow me on Instagram and on Twitter at Kobe, K-O-B-E, Campbell, C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L underscore. Or visit my website, www.kobecampbell.com. And yeah, you can find me there. Or you can also listen to my podcast, the Healing Circle podcast. And we are on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Awesome. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye, guys. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Kobe. I just, I don't know about you, but when I hear her talk, her voice is so soothing. Like, I feel like I could just listen to her talk and process all day long and it would just be like a calming river over me. And I think I just wanted to wrap up today with the thought of, does it have to be either or? Is it possible that it can be both and? And can we all be curious about our own stories and how we're showing up? Is it the Holy Spirit or is it my trauma? Yes, <laughs> it, it's, it's both. It can be both. I mean, listen, I love living in the black and white. I love Algebra 2. It was my favorite class in high school. I love systems. Why? equals mx plus b for slope one plus one equals two like i want the black and white answer that is good for math but not good for humans we are not a problem to be solved we are human beings made in the image of god so my invitation to you whatever junction you're at in life is to show up with a posture of curiosity and to invite grace god and nuance into those spaces All right, this has been so lovely and I'm so excited to connect with you next time. Talk to you next week.